Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Wow! By William Seabrook. First published in The Smart Set, January 1921. Uh, we are reading the version from Worlds Beyond, December 1950. Pretty much uh, looks the same. There's some chapter section headings or sections in the original and a little tiny illustration in this one. Um, I am uh, a little bit acquainted with Seabrook, um, but haven't read much of his stuff. Had you heard of him? I don't think you had before I... No, it's not somebody I had heard of as a writer. Um, and I was fascinated to find out about him as an individual. Why don't you, you know, tell us what you knew about this uh, strange person? <laughs> yeah, so um, I first heard about him, I think, uh, because he was a cannibal. <laughs> that was the most interesting thing is, you know... He he was um, he was a travel writer kind of he he would travel around the world and uh, write books about his experiences. Um, he's a World War One vet, uh, member of the quote unquote lost generation. Everybody talks about the millennials these days, but the lost generation is a uh, the writers who came out of World War One alive. And um, unlike most of them. Um, he is not a fiction writer generally. He was a he's best known as sort of a nonfiction ad, adventure travel writing kind of fiction, and he's very good at it. He's a good writer in that he transforms his experiences into interesting prose. Um, and uh, other than being a, a cannibal, he was also uh, committed himself to a mental hospital for alcohol addiction. Didn't didn't work. Um, he he um, uh, did a bunch of a, like he was an occultist too. I oh understand. yeah yeah he was. In fact, this story comes from uh, a meeting with Aleister Crowley, who was one of his friends. Uh, did did you hear about this? Did I t- tell you about this story about where this story? No, came? I know about Aleister Crowley, but I don't know about the meeting of these two folks. Okay, so Aleister Crowley and he were friends. Um, there's some. Uh, there is a book that he wrote, uh, Seabrook wrote on occultism, and um, he wrote, wrote about in one of his books, um, uh, Witchcraft, Its Power in the World Today, which is one of his books, um, about the origin of the story WoW. Um, before we do that, should we tell what happens in the story? Yeah. All right. Would you care to do that? Sure. So the story is set in a place long, long ago and far away. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, it has the, the feel of fairy tale or of parable. Uh, I think that's what's intended. Literally, however, it's set in China uh, before the building of the Great Wall which may mean either before 200 BCE, which is when the most famous part of the Great Wall was constructed under Emperor Qing, who is the first emperor of China, as we in fact now still know it, or as far back as 700 BCE, um, because there are people who count the building of these fortifications as going back to that, the very first one. So 
Uh, I mentioned that uh, imprecision of date for two reasons. One, because we really don't know how long, long ago this story is set, as we don't know how long, long ago some of those myths and parables and fairy tales may be set. The other is that if we were to look at this China as the historical China, we uh, we might wonder if this were Emperor Cheng himself, but I think it is not because Lao Tzu gets mentioned in the story. Um, Lao Tzu is the, it literally means uh, venerable sir, but it's the name that's used for the writer of the Tao Te Ching, which is the founding text from which comes Confucianism, um, uh, absurdism of Chuangzi. It is a founding text that leads into uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. It's it is really a, a crucial crucial document in Eastern philosophy, religion. Uh, those two words don't have the same kind of discrete meaning in the East as they do in the West. So Lao Tzu is 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 the character who who comes along and is trying to leave China to get past the Great Wall or past a, a pass, um, which is guarded by a sentinel who says when he recognize when he recognizes this this older man, this old man, um, he says, you may not pass. The guy says, I just want to leave China to go up into the mountains where it's beautiful to die at peace. And the man says, you are the great philosopher. Give me just one word of your wisdom. I know that it will it will enhance me. And so the elderly man says, wow, we don't know if he says, wow, or <laughs> wow. But all we know from the written word that Seabrook's writing is he says, wow, W.O.W. The story goes from, you know, one person to another. The sentinel doesn't become wealthy and live in a palace and his wife doesn't become younger and more beautiful or whatever it is that the sentinel wants. Um, but the, but he then, you know, is always muttering this word to himself all the time. And he falls into uh, disrepute with uh, his commander. And the commander talks about this incident and the story works its way up all the way to the emperor. And as luck would have it, this is an emperor who actually is concerned more with the welfare of his people than he is with uh, himself. That's what we are to understand. And so he, he hears that there's this one word from Lao Tzu, and he turns to his vizier, his chief advisor, and says, what does it mean? And the vizier goes off and contemplates it, and he comes back, and the vizier again uses some parables. He says, well, oh, wonderful emperor, you certainly have seen when two prides of lions confront each other, they will attack each other. And, so, and the emperor says, no, I've never seen that. <laughs> and he says, well, you've seen these other conflicts among animals. And no, I've never seen that. Anyway, the short of it is that the vizier is doing this so that he can say to the emperor, ah, so the difference between the animals and us is that we have language and they do not. Had we not language, we would be able to revert to the fundamental nature of humanity, which is to be good and to live in harmony with our neighbors. And so the emperor decrees that from now on language will be abolished. And the only thing you can say is, wow. And for a while, China becomes utopia until one day a child is born with a speech impediment who can't say, wow, he can only say, whoa. 
and things happen again, one person, another person, more people. And eventually you wind up having the woe sayers and the wow sayers and the woe sayers and the wow sayers um, are in conflict. And in fact, it looks like they will, as it says in the story, uh, attack each other so that the rivers will run red with blood. Um, the emperor and the vizier hear about this before the climactic battle between the wow sayers and the woe sayers. And they go out and they try to stop them. But in fact, they then go and attack the people attack the emperor and the vizier. And I read the last paragraph. And when the yellow moon rose, it shone as of old upon human strife and fields strewn with the dead, while naught remained of the emperor and the vizier and Lao Tse's holy wisdom, save a few empty bubbles floating on a river of blood. Now, put that way, it's a very uh, somber story, but I should also mention um, it's told with one bit of satire after another. Uh, for example, um, early on, when the sentinel sees this old guy sitting cross-legged on the ox making its way out of China, he says, you're that great philosopher. And the stranger replies, that may or may not be but I am an old man wishing to depart from China and die in peace. Well, that phrase, I may and may not be, that is the heart of the Tao Te Ching, mm. right? Right? It's like that old joke, how many Zen Buddhists does it take to change a light bulb? Two, one to change the bulb and one not to change the bulb. <laughs> so, you know, when Seabrook has the old man say, in response to this assertion that you're allowed to say, that may or may not be, for those in the know, that's a joke, and it's one of many throughout the story. So it is a somber story saying some kind of parabolic, giving us some kind of parabolic message about language or human nature or something. But it's also fun all the way through mm -hmm. if you read it with some care. Does that sound fair to you, Jesse? It does. Uh, uh, and it's also a fun story for for students. I, I've read it with my students a couple of times, and uh, they find it hilarious and then they usually ask what was the point of this story <laughs> the end. Um, other than to be amusing um, I I think um, it has some points uh, but they are like a parable and it, it doesn't tell you um, but uh, it's funny because the, the story that of the genesis of the story doesn't match the message of the story either um, so let me read the, the genesis um, this is from Seabrook's uh, book, Witchcraft, Its Power in the World Today, in which basically he hangs out with Al Aleister Crowley and drinks too much, um, which was he, he was wont to do. So it goes like this. On the following summer, it was around 1920, I invited A.C., that is Aleister Crowley, to spend July and August with me in a farm near Atlanta. We got to talking one night about Trappist monks, about the vow, their vows of silence, etc., and he suggested that we try an interesting variant. He proposed that for a week we limit all verbal communication and all conversation to one prearranged monosyllable. We experimented with several, tried various animal monosyllables, including er, woof, moo, ba, and finally decided upon wow. We stuck to this for a whole week. Katie was amused and tolerant, that's his wife. Visitors wondered 
whether he'd, we'd gone crazy. While Shep and Vani, our two Negro servants, were convinced we'd either joined or were founding a branch of some new religion. We learned in the first couple of days, or believed we did, a good deal about the manner in which animals communicate with one another. We were both surprised how much by mere change in intonation, volume, etc., we could communicate. After we'd be pre become pretty good, or thought we had, in pass the butter, or I don't care for it anymore, or would you like to take a walk, or that's a pretty girl, it's a fine morning, yes, no, maybe, I like it, I don't like it, the hell with it, isn't it wonderful? and elementary sorts of things of that sort, it chanced that one night Shep brought me a gallon of moonshine corn. <laughs> A.C. and I sat up that night, drank most of it, and held a long, deep philosophical conversation in terms of wow, until the wee small hours when Katie finally made us shut up and go to bed. She insists that we simply got drunk and sat and barked at each other all night, but A.C. and I felt the talk had been profound and illuminating. It was at any rate profitable, for I later wrote a fantasy on what might happen if human language were abolished, and sold it to H.L. Mencken. It is entitled Wow, and it has appeared in a number of anthologies. Um, H.L. Mencken, I guess, is the editor of The Smart Set, which is a, a, a magazine pretty well known, I think, at least in my circles, as in I've read a lot of it, <laughs> um, is a comedy oh, magazine. Actually, right? Uh, sorry? You're just a co-editor, right? George G. Nathan is also editor. Sure, and he—he's um, Mencken also has a reputation outside of uh, I, even today, I think. But it's a—it's a kind of a humor magazine um, for witty sophisticates, and was fairly popular with a lot of Dunsany and that sort of uh, storytelling in it. Um, so, what is the point of this story? What do you think, Eric? Well. Um, I think that Seabrook's, if we can believe Seabrook's memoir, I'm not sure we can because he's a writer and writers lie for a living, yep. but if we can believe Seabrook's memoir, he was rather amused by this experiment and delighted to be able to pursue it with a friend, a like-minded, strange guy. Um, and it's nice that there's a wife and servants in the background mm -hmm. to make sure that things go right and that the world manages to proceed. You'll notice that in WoW, everybody just magically does what the emperor says. There is no background population attending to the needs and desires of anybody else. Everyone is just saying, wow. It seems to me that as much as we might be willing to believe that Seabrook is having fun in his memoir, I think he's having a different kind of fun in the story mm -hmm. because he's letting us know something that he learned from his experiment. And that is it doesn't work. That's right. It doesn't work so that it may well be that language is a tool that is used to organize social groups, which then find themselves in conflict but not to have language is to mean that you don't have organized social groups at all. And the story actually tells us about that. It says during the so-called, what I refer to as the utopian phase of the narrative, that people in one, in one village might hear the animals of the neighboring village. 
right? Because things got so quiet, mm-hmm. right? You could hear the animals of the neighboring village, and yet nobody would take the trouble to go and meet their neighbors in the neighboring village. It's as if the absence of language leads to the necessary constriction of the the size of a human community. So although Seabrook isn't saying it directly, since it ends with the rivers of blood, I think he's giving us a, a good demonstration that language is a fundamental human technology. It does set us apart from the animals, and it sets us apart not only for bad, but also for good, because it's what allows society at all. And if we admire an emperor who actually can have the benefits of his, the, 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 the goodness of his people as his prime objective, and he can convey the necessary command to them through language, right? He doesn't say, send out a proclamation, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> he sends out a proclamation in language that says, no more language, only wow, right? Even to achieve goodness at the very root for human beings in large groups, we have to have language. So I think that this is a very playful story, but it's one that ultimately says, hey, 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 you know, we need this stuff. It's dangerous, it's powerful, but we need it. Uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it, what I like about this story, and I think this is why it shows up in, in the magazine that we're reading it in, uh, Worlds Beyond, which is a fantasy, science fiction-y sort of magazine, is because it is, a, it is actually about what if. It, unlike a lot of sort of mainstream stories where, you know, you've got a husband who wants to get back with his wife or the wife who wants to, you know, get a new job and or, you know, make a clay pot or whatever it is. This is about what if you did this experiment? And obviously it is a failed experiment in its own story and a failed experiment in his own life. But it is kind of a... a a focus, and it also has that eastern part of you know um, doing meditation by saying the same word over and over again. The the sentinel, um, we're told, says it twenty thousand times a day in the hopes that it will uh, give him some great, <laughs> great um, this incantation will give him some great benefits. Um, and of course, the things that he wants are not enlightenment, but rather you know. Uh, a baton of power and a more beautiful wife and a bigger house, right? <laughs> which is also a good satire. Um, there's a, a, a couple of really awesome parts, too. Um, I want to point to the first one is, is why does Lao Tzu, or not Lao Tzu, the old man, say, uh, wow? And I think it's a bit ambiguous. He could be answering the question. He says, um, Spare me, I beg you, ere you depart for China, from China, one word of your great wisdom, which may perhaps enrich my poverty or make it easier to bear. Whereupon Lao Tzu opened his mouth and said gravely, Wow. Now, what's missing from that uh, little description is what the man is doing. He's prostrated himself, which is laid down, right, on the ground, made himself as low as possible, as if he is unworthy and the man on the back of the ox is very high up. Um, now, if he is Lao Tzu, 
uh, maybe this he's seen this before. But if it's not Lao Tzu, it's just some old man riding an ox, um, it seems unlikely that he would have seen it. So when he lays down on the ground and uh, says, please, I beg you, give me one word. It could be he's just reacting like anyone would when somebody lays down on the ground in front of them and prostrates himself and makes himself so low. You're just, wow. <laughs> like that's We say it all the time, right? It's an exclamation of, wow. It really doesn't have a definition other than shock and surprise, right? So uh, there's a meme on the internet that is... Uh, basically just that somebody makes a comment on about something and you can't believe that they said that um like you're so shocked that there's no way to even communicate after that you just say quote wow comma just wow (laughs) exclamation point which is a kind of interesting uh reaction because you have to physically type it in there so you don't it's like lol laugh out loud well, you're actually typing that those letters. So what's going on there? I'm not sure. But when the king, or the emperor, I should say, uh, bids his vizier to go and investigate this, um, he comes back with some pretty funny stories, which also make the students laugh out loud and me laugh out loud, or wow out loud anyways. Um, the vizier engaged in his holy meditation on wow for 40 days, a good number, and nights, after which he returned to the emperor and spoke, O son of heaven, doubtless it has often chanced that while engaged in the hunt, you have seen two vast companies of lions arrayed in martial order, maiming and slaying each other in mighty battle. Uh, I was like, do they do that? No, they don't do that in ancient China. What's he saying? The next one. But surely, O son of heaven, you have noticed when courting... Uh, when coursing wolves, how certain of the pack are accustomed to act as slaves and burden bearers for the others? Oh, I see what he's doing, right? He's he's pointing to things that humans do that animals without language don't. Uh, and then, but at least I am convinced that you have observed how certain animals imprison others of their kind in chains and in dungeons, how certain ones starve amid plenty, and how all beasts of the forests save a divinely favored few, are compelled to engage in lifelong toil. So it becomes very clear at this point, not just to me, but to my students, that what we're seeing is not animals doing this to each other, but a particular subset of animals, the only one with language. And thus we conclude, (laughs) rightly or wrongly, that language is responsible for all human woe. <laughs> and then we get the derivation uh, of w- wow becomes whoa, W O, but also sounds like W O E. <laughs> it also sounds like W H O A. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. stop, right? <laughs> Something you would say on to, yeah. uh, to a uh, man who's trying to leave China uh, from the back of an ox. Whoa, slow down there, buddy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I would make a a few little comments about this. Um, one, um, yes, those are clearly human beings, but I don't think that I think that your students are stopping too soon if they see that this story supports the notion that language is bad. Obviously, uh, yes. that's the simple reading, and obviously it is both good and bad. Um, I I, I stand, would like to. 
reassert that notion that that what we see is that the emperor is able to do good things for his people and inadvertently bad things by using the very same tool, which is language. I'd also point out that that Seabrook, the occultist um, and or and, and traveler, and he's been to places like China and he knows what 40 days means. Mm-hmm. 40 days is the amount of time, for example, that Jesus spends being tempted uh, by the devil and then decides, no, he's going to stay in the world. Um, 40 days is a crucial time for revelation for death and rebirth. And so the vizier goes off, he thinks for 40 days, comes back and says, ah, this is what I've learned. But in fact, he's learned nothing. He's learned nothing that's right at all. Um, He has really learned only, let's set up an experiment and realize how foolish we were to begin with. So there is a sort of uh, anti-revelation stance behind this. And I think that again and again, as we read the story, we need to look more deeply into it. For example, um, the the sentinel who's dumbly scratching his head, it's interesting, saying over and over to himself in puzzled uncertain turns, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but dumbly doesn't mean stupidly. Nope. It means silently. Mm-hmm. So he is saying this silently to himself. Well, so he's, is he saying it or isn't he saying it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, immediately after that, the text reads, for this absurd monosyllable had precisely the same meaning in ancient Chinese that it has in modern English, which is another way of telling you that it had no meaning at all. I would point out that this is false. First of all, if you're reading the text, wow has the meaning of being palindromic, W-O-W. It looks the same going in one direction or the other direction, which is brings us right back to Lao Tzu's notion that it may be or it may not be. It is and it isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Things come and go. And if you look at that, the, the yin yang symbol, you know, with black and white with a swirl between them, mm-hmm. uh, that circle that that captures visually the notion of uh, the Tao Te Ching. You know, everything is involved in its opposite. And Wow is, in fact, I looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary just to see how they would approach this absurd monosyllable that has no meaning at all. And they were quite clear at giving it a meaning, which was an expression of shock or surprise. Right. And it is, in fact, an expression of shock and surprise So we can inflect it like, wow, <laughs> I'm surprised that that's true or I'm delighted that that's true. We can do all kinds of things with the modulation of our voice. Having only one syllable, language gives us many, 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 many syllables organized in grammatical ways and with all kinds of lexical meanings. But just our human expression of emotion in wow has, in fact, meaning. So this assertion, this absurd monosyllable had precisely the same meaning as it does now, no meaning at all. Is it, in fact, untrue? And it seems to me that at some deeper level, we need to understand that the entire narrative is coming to us from an untrustworthy narrator. Right. It's not as if there really is a history of Chinese philosophical writing that works its way back to this story. (laughs) No, there's a history of Chinese philosophical writing that works its way back to the Tao Te Ching. 
This is something that's made up to exploit the Chinese as an image of the foreign and the ancient and the wise and make fun of us for believing (laughs) that it is, in fact, wise. So by just taking this narrator at his own word, we not only get a story that shows the foolishness of relying on a simple notion of wisdom, we also are put into a position of having too simply accepted a critique of too simply accepting a notion of simplified wisdom. seems to me this is a story with lovely, lovely layers about the relationship between the reader and the narrator and what the narrator is really saying and so on, which is to say there is a a silent author behind this story who created this untrustworthy narrator to make us recognize that when we hear language, we need to think about what it actually means. We can't toss it off as meaningless and we can't just accept it as saying what it seems to say because that makes language just a bludgeon that cuts one way or the other. And life is more complicated than that. Um, And if that comes as a surprise, maybe you would say, wow. Wow. Of course, wow is only the language for the middle of the story. Ultimately, the story tells us there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.